You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Genesis 25, let's begin reading in verse 1. Let's stand, though, as we open our Bibles and turn to Genesis 25. Genesis 25, we'll read the first uh, 10 verses here. And it says, Then again, Abraham took a wife, and her name was Keturah. And she bare him Zimran, and Jokshan, and Medan, and Midian, and Ishbak, and Shua. Some good classic Bible names there. And Jokshan, by the way, I was with Jeremy Jacob, if you need another J name, Jokshan, I think that one works. Probably used all the other ones. So, yeah, don't, yeah. Jokshan begat Sheba and Dedan. And the sons of Dedan were Ashurim and Latushim and and Liamim. And the sons, yeah, I'm glad to be done with those verses. And the sons of Midian, Ephah and Epher and Hanok and Abida and Eldea, all these were the children of Keturah. And Abraham gave all that he had unto Isaac. But under the sons of the concubines which Abraham had, Abraham gave gifts and sent them away from Isaac his son while he yet lived eastward unto the east country. He had other descendants, but he had only one son of promise. And that one son of promise was what he gave all that he had to. And when it says all that he had, it doesn't mean literally everything, all the most important parts of the inheritance. He gave the gifts to the other descendants, the other offspring he had. And it says he sent them away to the east. Look at verse 7. And these are the days of the years of Abraham's life, which he lived, an hundred threescore and fifteen years. That's 175. Then Abraham gave up the ghost and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. And his sons, Isaac and Ishmael, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, which is before Mamre. And if you'll notice, remember, that's the burial plot he bought to bury his wife Sarah in. He buried in the same place. Verse 10, the field which Abraham purchased of the sons of Heth, there was Abraham buried and Sarah his wife. And you say, well, that does not sound very encouraging. Uh, well, but Abraham does a few things here that I think are important. Here's the thought I'd like to give you. I'm just going to give it to you up front is that it's never too late to leave a mark. It's never too late to leave a mark. It's never too late to make a difference. Here's Abraham at 175 years old, and you know we think we're getting old. He's 175, and yet he's still passionately making sure the next generation is set up to advance the plans of God and receive the blessings of God. And here's what happens. We get to the point that we think, I'm done. So we pack it in. But as long as you're breathing, let me say this clearly, as long as you're breathing, you have a place in God's plan. You have a role to play. 
Don't let a failure or your age or your gifting or your personality limit what you allow God to do through you. It's never too late to leave your mark. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the, the text. I pray that you'd help me to convey it clearly. And Lord, you know what's on my heart, what's on my mind, and you know what I need from you this morning. Greater than what I need, I know that I need. You know it. And I, I need you, Lord. I cannot do this without you. I need your help. We need your Holy Spirit to very, very clearly illuminate, to shine like a light on this truth. And that you could apply it then to our hearts and that we would take seriously the message we hear this morning so that we can leave our marks on the next generation. Lord, we love you. Pray that you bless the reading of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As I said uh, yesterday, I went to my, my grandmother's funeral. And uh, she was, she, her, the service was in Abilene, Texas. And, and so I was already in Texas for another meeting. So I flew over to Dallas. My wife flew up here, got the kids. They all wanted to go. But they were close to her. They drove all the way down Thursday and Friday and picked me up in Dallas. And we went to the funeral and that's where my family is, by the way, just in case you're, you're wondering if they're skipping this morning. Um, they're driving back, and they're going to church there in Oklahoma with Olivia, and then coming back today. But we went to this, to this service yesterday, and it was, it was helpful. It was special. You know, my, my earliest memories of, of life really include my, my grandmother. I mean, I, I can remember her as early, I think, as I remember my parents. Um, I remember going to her house to be babysat. We were there many times. I remember how all of her closets smelled like mothballs. I don't know why. That's a smell you don't forget. I remember the way she laughed. I, I remember how she collected a bunch of somewhat um, creepy porcelain owls and decorated her house with them. I'm not sure why. That's just what she chose. You know, two memories that will never be erased from my mind is, number one, as, as we got older, or as we, she got older, she would come to our house to visit over holidays and, and uh, different times, and we'd always give her gift cards while she was there. She, she, was, she had no income, and, and it was always a help to have gift cards to go get whatever she needed. So we would give her gift cards. That's what we did, and she could spend it how she wanted um, but more than once, we would take her to the store and we'd say, okay, uh, Granny, go and, and whatever you need, just go pick it up. You, you just shop for whatever, you've, whatever you need, whatever you can get with the gift cards. And um, as we were coming then to check out, she would come back with a basket full of toys and candy and clothes for the kids. And we would say, Granny, that was for you, but she didn't care. She loved to be a giver. Uh, the other memory was how how good she was at sending cards to all of her grandkids and, and all of her great-grandkids, and she was faithful to it, and she always would put a $5 bill in the card. And I remember as a young adult, when she stopped putting the $5 bill in the card, how disappointed I was. It's like, come on, I need $5. No, but she always, though, I'm telling you, every year, like clockwork, she would write a birthday card to all of her grandkids and all of her great-grandkids, and, uh, and, and there were times that she would forget and she would send one later and say, I'm so sorry I forgot, happy birthday. Um, and there were times that, and you, this really worked to your advantage, if she would send one of them a, a card with a $5 bill, then forgot that she sent a card with a $5 bill and sent another one. And that was the, those were the good kind of years. 
You know, I mention that because she never got to a point that she considered herself past the point of leaving an impact in people's lives. She never got to the place where she saw that she was past the point of making a difference. And they weren't big differences, but they were big to her family. And and one of the lessons that I see here in Genesis 25 is that Abraham never acted as if it was too late to leave a mark. He already had a legacy. I mean, God's God's promises had already been made. He'd he'd seen most of them come to pass. Uh, He knew the land that the descendants would inherit, although he didn't have possession of very much of it yet. Uh, He had been blessed with great riches. He had been given a great name. God had blessed his friends and cursed his enemies. And while he hadn't seen all the families of the earth be blessed through his descendant, the Messiah, one day, the Lord had made of him a great nation. I just consider the sons, all these sons mentioned here in chapter 25, and I'll let you read them to yourself so I don't have to read them out loud again, but you read the names, you saw all the names, and all of those sons had their own families, and they became the fathers of their own distinct people. Uh, One example even listed there is Midian, who many believe that's the Midian that became the father of the Midianites, which, which became an, in, an enemy of Israel that numbered in the hundreds of thousands. So whether or not they were, they were friendly to Israel, God made of him a great nation, many great nations. God blessed his family like he said he would, even if it wasn't uh, necessarily at this time through Isaac's line. He hadn't seen all that come to pass yet. But this doesn't necessarily matter to the narrative. And I just want to mention this, but there had been much speculation. There's much speculation about the timeline of Abraham's marriage to Keturah. Because it says, then again, Abraham took a wife and her name was Keturah. And many believe that the way that that's worded, uh, it seems like he got married after Sarah had died, which would be perfectly fine. Um, some, some believe, though, that, he got, that this marriage took place before Sarah died. I don't know. It is important to note. I'm just going to mention this to you as Bible readers and uh, understanding the narrative of Genesis, of Genesis is that it, it's not always chronological. Uh, it, it's important to note that it doesn't always come right in line chronologically speaking. Um, for example, in verse 7... It says, look at verse 7, it says, And these are the days of the years in Abraham's life which he lived, and hundred three score and 15 years. That's 175, okay? Well, we know that his son Isaac was born when he was 100. Okay, so that means that, that Isaac is 75 when, when Abraham died. But look down in verse 26 of this chapter, just, just to give you an idea um, it says, and after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel. This is Jacob and, and Esau when they were being born. And his name was called Jacob, and Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. So, so Isaac has to be 75 when his father died at 175. But we find out there later that when Jacob and Esau were born, Isaac was 60. So uh, that's a, a, just an example of the fact that many times Moses would, uh, who wrote Genesis, he would give a summary of something and then he would kind of lay it out in, in details later. So it's inter- just interesting to me, never really thought about it, that Jacob and Esau were 15, year old, 15 years old when their grandfather Abraham died. So they knew him. They, they had an idea of, of who he was and and they, they understood uh, the kind of person that he was. They watched him live by faith and they got to know him. That would have been great. 
Now, I say all that to say this, um, that we don't know if Abraham married Keturah uh, before or after Sarah's death. It could be that he took her as a concubine. The word concubine is mentioned here in 1 Chronicles 1. It calls Keturah a concubine, or maybe he just married her after Sarah died. Um, that would have given him about 40 years to have six more sons, which is very possible. We, we don't know. Here's the reason I go into that, is that you just under, need to understand sometimes Genesis isn't always chronological. And often we read a, a narrative summary and then we're given the details. I don't know if that's what happens here. I just wanted to point that out. Sometimes it, it causes some confusion and that we think that it's always chronological, but it's not. Now, that's not important to the narrative today. So I just wanted to mention it, though. Um, Abraham, though he had a legacy... Whether or not the, chron the chronology all works out in our minds, he had a legacy. He, was, he watched his, these sons be born and he watched them start to develop their, their own families. And, but, in the, in the, uh, but as well as having a legacy, he also had the right perspective. He didn't let all the blessings cloud what was important. In verse 5 it says, Abraham gave all that he had unto Isaac. Now, some people might say this is unfair... Now, if you're one of those parents that tries to give every one of your children the equal amounts and the e everything equal and it has to be fair and right down the line, I feel sorry for you. Because it doesn't always work that way. And sometimes, honestly, parents, it's good for our children um, to have something happen to them that's a little bit unfair. I think we live in a culture uh, with this new generation um, that is reflecting the fact that everything has to be fair or they don't like it. It would be, it's good for them at times to, to see. Now, I'm not, this doesn't have as much to do with this narrative as it, must, as it does to do with parenting, but it's good sometimes to just not have everything always be fair. It'll help our children in life because I don't know about you, but as an adult, has life always been fair to you? No, so it'll be, help, help, it'll be a help to prepare them for some of those things. Well, Abraham isn't just doing this to not be fair and to teach lessons. He remembers that God's promises are coming through Isaac. He's keeping the right perspective. He gave all of it to Isaac. He gave the wealth and the riches and the possessions and also the land he owned. And he didn't own very much land, but at this point he had the land of promise and it was only supposed to go to that one that God had chosen. Now, before you think, again, it's unfair, God is the one who chose Isaac to be the promised heir. Uh, we don't know why. We don't always understand why God does things the way that he does. Um, but this is God's plan, and we just have to trust it. Uh, and it's not as though Abraham doesn't care about his other sons. When he sent Ishmael away, I mean, it was a grief of mind to him. He loved his sons. I imagine he loved these sons as well. But he also knew that God wanted to advance his kingdom through Isaac in that spot. And he knew that he had to send then his other sons away so that God could work through Isaac in that land the way that God wanted to. And, and, and these aren't six or seven year old children, by the way. He's sending them, uh, they're probably either older teenagers or young adults. They probably have their family, some family already with them. He's sending them away with some resources. But there will be times, as I mentioned a few weeks ago in a message, that you might have to let an Ishmael go so that God can keep working in your life. And that's what's happening once again. Abraham knew he had to take steps to make sure that God's blessing passed to the next generation. And here's the, here's the thing, believers die. 
I mean, even Abraham, the one that God chose to, to start this whole program through and begin his plans through, even he dies. And the big idea here is if Abraham doesn't take steps to protect Isaac and to protect the blessings and to protect the land, then God's plan of blessing won't continue to the next generation as it's supposed to. Abraham knows I've got to take some steps to protect this because God's plan is that important to me. And listen, we have a responsibility to ensure that the next generation receives what they need in order to continue to be blessed by God. We have a responsibility to that. And we must first teach them the doctrines of the Bible. You know, they need to understand that salvation comes by faith alone through Jesus Christ. That, that baptism is simply a step of obedience. It's a testimony to what has taken place in our hearts. And it is not a means of salvation. They need to understand that God is real. And he has spoken to us through his word. And his perfect expression came in the person of Jesus Christ, his son. His only son. They need to know that, that the Bible can be trusted. And, and we believe the Bible is inspired and preserved and inerrant. And we have it for the English-speaking people right here in the King James Version of the Bible. And I'm thankful for that. There are plenty more doctrines and core things that we could teach them and that we believe. But listen, if we don't teach the next generation, what happens to our doctrine? What happens if we don't know it and we don't teach it? Abraham took steps to ensure God's plan to, to bless Isaac would continue, and he released the other influences that might prevent it from happening. Parents, adults, are we helping, uh, are we helping others have a clear path to blessing, or are we making it harder on them? You know, I mean, as a dad, I do think about this because I want my children to be part of God's plan and I want my children to have God's blessings on their lives. But sometimes I wonder if I'm the hindrance. I wonder if things that I'm doing are, are not compelling them to, to follow Christ and maybe the things I'm exposing them to or, or the influences that I have in our home, I want to make sure that I'm not doing something. Listen, if I don't have a personal, dynamic, active relationship with God, why should they want to believe what I believe? If it doesn't make a difference in my life, what difference do they think it's going to make in their life? Do we have habits that confuse them because we say we're committed to doctrine, but our lives don't reflect it in our words and attitudes and choices and entertainment? We tend to hurt their chances by not releasing the influences that might hinder God from working in their lives. Abraham kept the right perspective by recognizing what would hinder the next generation from receiving God's blessings. And so he said, it's time to release these things. It's time to put separation between my son who God wants to bless and these other influences who might try to take the land that he's been promised. So here's another way that he kept the right perspective. He didn't allow his age to hinder him from taking those steps. I'm going to say that again. Abraham did not allow his age to hinder him from taking those steps. See, he first, he knew it was important to help the next generation be in a position that God could bless, but he also didn't allow his age to affect his efforts in doing so. And he's, he's an old man here. I'm not trying to be uh, rude. I'm not trying to be trite about it. He's old. But he was still actively making sure that God's plan was, was being passed to the next generation. And so I just want to speak to the older generation this morning for a minute. 
And some mornings I wake up and I feel like I'm part of the older generation. Some people get to a certain age and they assume God's done using them. They assume that God no longer has a plan for them to impact the next generation. I mean, obviously, Abraham didn't think that way, but others do. I'm just asking, how do you picture the twilight years of your life? The, the, the closing years, do you see yourself, and this sounds pretty nice, do you see yourself rocking away on a porch with nothing to worry about? Retiring and living down south in the winter and enjoying travel and doing whatever you feel like? Doesn't sound too bad, does it? But too often we have a misconception of this time in our lives. See, many people work their whole lives to get to retirement only to find themselves looking for something else to focus on just after a few months of retirement. And many that, that reach retirement age say it's overrated. I've seen a bumper sticker that said, retired, no job, no work, no pressure, no money. You know, many people approach these years with a faulty idea and they, uh, and listen, they, they think, well, I deserve this. And they do. I mean, I'm not taking that away. The, but, the, but their thought process, I've earned the right to do what I choose. I've done my job. I've paid my dues. I can relax. And listen, yeah, you probably have paid your dues. But Matthew 6.33 applies to everyone. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. We have, to be under, we have to be careful to assume that that verse only applies to the young. No, it applies to everybody. Some say, well, in that age, they say, I will no longer have a purpose. I, I'm just too old and to be, to be effective. And, and, and listen, you have to be careful to assume that you've outlived God's plans for your life. Amen. To say I'm too old to make a difference is like saying God doesn't know what he's doing. You might assume that you deserve to be free from responsibility or that God is done using you. But I want you to look at Abraham's example and let it tell you otherwise. He was fruitful in his old age by having sons and grandsons. But he was also still concerned about the kingdom of God and the plan of God. And that the next generation wasn't hindered by him. But, putting, but he was helping them put in a position to be blessed by God. And before you think, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not old. This doesn't apply to me. Well, let me get more specific. Abraham didn't allow his circumstances to affect his efforts for the Lord. See, I know plenty of young people that aren't producing for God. They don't have the excuse of being, of being elderly, but I know plenty that aren't doing their part in making sure that others hear about God's plan and that others hear about God's blessings and they use circumstances as excuses not to impact others for Christ. And your excuse may not be age, but maybe it's, you say, I'm just so busy, I just don't have the time. And so you're saying that your life circumstances are more important than God's kingdom plans on earth? You're saying that a job or that project or those circumstances are just too big for you to leave a mark on others for God? Yeah. I hope you're not saying that. Yet yeah, we do that on a daily basis. And other people might say, I don't have the right personality to leave a mark. No, there are no exemptions when it comes to living for God. And there are no personality clauses when it comes to giving the gospel or serving in a local church. Listen, God, if you're a member here at Eastside, and I hope that you are, and if you're not, come be a member and join and get involved and have a place to serve God. He brought you here for a reason. 
Every person in the body is here to contribute what only they can contribute. And for somebody to say, well, God can't use my personality is like saying that God put me here on, uh, by mistake. He didn't. You have a place to serve and you have a, a place to contribute and you have to view it differently that just because your personality or your, your gifting isn't there, God has a place for you. You say, well, well, I don't have enough confidence. I don't have enough knowledge I, or I don't know what to say. How do I impact other people? No, listen, if Abraham is nearing 175 years old, if he could make a tough decision so that God's work could advance, we have no reason to allow our circumstances to keep us from leaving our marks. What life circumstances are you using right now that are hindering the legacy you're leaving for Christ? We all have the areas we fall back on as excuses, but there's nothing more important than God's plan and God's blessings. So there's two lessons from Abraham's life that I, I found to be helpful as I was coming to this text. And number one, it's never too late to leave your mark. You might say, I'm too old to be used. Well, was Abraham too old to be used? Well, he was 175 when he died, so he obviously wasn't too old to be used. Was Caleb too old at age 85 or however old he was to help conquer the promised land? Was Moses too old at age 80 to lead 2 million people out of Egypt in, in, into the promised land? No. God has proven over and over that age is just a number. Yeah. And when his strength is that, that which powers us, what does age have to do with anything? You have wisdom, and I'm looking at the, the white hair and the gray hair this morning. You have wisdom and you have experience, and, and you can take someone under your wing and give them counsel. You can pray, you can encourage, you can leave a mark. I know plenty that are gray or white-haired and they're still actively serving in some role. Amen. It's never too late to leave your mark. I mean, every Sunday morning I'd, I'd walk into the sanctuary or, or I'd see Brother George Ellis walk in or be pushed in or whatever he was using at the moment. And every Sunday morning and every service he's here, just the biggest smile you ever saw. Yeah. And my wife, I texted her this morning. I said, um, you know, Brother George is not doing well. And, and she said, he was my favorite. And she said, I told him last week he's my favorite because every week he tells me how pretty I am. It's like, <laughs> you vain woman. <laughs> She's not here, is she? She's going to sneak in. Okay. She's watching. But you know, Brother George, didn't, he, he never got to the place where he thought, my smile won't matter to somebody. Or my encouraging words won't make a difference to somebody. And every week that he came in, he was the smilingest guy in the whole room. I mean, as we heard this morning, even the grouchy preacher, you would have to smile back at Brother George. Because he, he and that's, that's, there's no sign-up sheet for that ministry. There's no sign-up sheet to be an encouragement and just to help love people and let them know they're loved. And yet that's what Brother George did every week. And I hope, I hope that God does a work in his life and we can see that smile again. Listen, you're not, you're not too old to leave your mark. There's another aspect. It's never too late to leave a mark. It, it may not be age that's left you saying, I'm done. Maybe it's a failure. 
See, age or whatever, either way, when some people get to a certain age and they say, I can't be used anymore because of my age. But some people have a failure in their lives and they do the same thing and they say, well, I can't, maybe I'm not old, but I have a failure that people label me with and that's the reason I can't be used anymore. I made a mistake or I did this or I lost my temper or I said some words I shouldn't. I made a bad decision and maybe it was public and you feel like everybody looks at you about that and they think about that when they see you. Well, maybe, maybe it was private, and, but it still weighs you down because the guilt is a burden and you think, I'm done. It's too late. But wait a second. Have you been paying attention to Abraham's life? I mean, one mistake after another. One failure after another, and there are no more public failures than the, than the ones that are recorded in God's word for us to read about over and over. And yet here's Abraham, he made one mistake after another, one failure after another, but he persevered enough to help prepare the next generation to receive God's blessings. In other words, God wasn't done with Abraham. God didn't look at him and say, well, you made these mistakes and you're past the time of making a difference and I can't use him anymore and just shelved him. No, he he allowed Abraham to confess those sins and to come back and and be used in ways that you and I probably will never dream of. God's not done with you. It's not over. God's the God of second chances and third chances and fourth and fifth and sixth and on down the line. And for us to assume that our failures will prevent him from using us is like saying, well, once I reach a certain age, I can't be used by God anymore. Well, no way. God's way bigger than that. The reason we allow our failures to keep us from serving God is not because God won't forgive. It's because we can't move past it ourselves. And yet the God of heaven who is holy and sinless, he's willing to forgive your sins. All you have to do is confess it and forsake it and move on. And it's time. Too many Christians are allowing age or failures or mistakes or a moment of weakness or a habit they can't break or the lost temper or personality conflicts define them rather than allowing God to define their finish line. They've stopped short. Listen, God has a finish line for you and it's not your job to decide where he puts it. Until it's over, you just keep serving. You persevere till you cross it. So it's never too late to make a difference. But second, it's never too soon to live your eulogy. Now that sounds weird, but it's never too soon to start living your, your eulogy. See, maybe you're a long way from old age. Well, instead of thinking it'll never come, live today like you want people to talk about you at your funeral. Amen. What kind of things do you want said at your, at your eulogy? What kind of things do you want people to talk about? What kind of thing, memories do you want people to have in their minds? Because as I sat there yesterday in my, my grandmother's funeral and I listened to all the things that were said of her, there was nothing said that had to be forced. And I've been to some funerals like that too where you felt like they were just grasping for anything they could to, have to, leave, to say something positive. But I've been to plenty of funerals, plenty more funerals where it's like I don't know what to leave out. There's so much good in this life and, and we only have an hour or two or three if we wanted to to go on and on and on about all the things that this person did for not just for the Lord but for me. 
but for the people around them and the encouragement they were and the help and the blessing. And, the, and listen, I just want you to imagine, here's the challenge. Just live today the things that you once said of you the day that you're buried. Let that drive you. Because we, many of us have plenty of good years ahead, but the way we live today will determine what is said of us at the end. In verse 8, it says, I love this verse. Then Abraham gave up the ghost and died in a good old age. An old man and full of years. You know what that means? The whole summary is, is that he lived to the full. He left nothing undone. And too many Christians live each day uh, leaving too much undone. You know, they wake up and they maybe want to do something for the Lord or do right that day or read their Bibles and pray and have a relationship with God and yet it's, they wake up a little bit late so they skip that and they go to work and they have an opportunity to be a testimony to somebody at work uh, but, they, but they get chicken out. They don't say anything and at some point they, they stub their toe or slam their finger with a hammer or whatever it is, wherever you work. You do something to hurt yourself and rather than, you know, do something that a Christian would, you say a word you shouldn't. Yeah. And it's just one thing after another, after another. And by the end of the day, you look back in your day and you say, I, I didn't do anything for the Lord today. Well, see, no, that's not what Abraham, that's not the way he lived his life. And when it says he died of good and a good, full of years, a good old age, an old man, he was saying he lived to the full. He didn't leave anything out. He didn't, he didn't uh, day by day by day say, I'll, do, I'll work for God tomorrow. I'll be a testimony tomorrow. No, he said, no, today's the day. I'm going to make use of the time that I have right now. And that's what those phrases mean. And maybe we think, well, I've got time and I can change that. How can you guarantee that? I mean, Brother George Ellis is 94 years old. On Wednesday, he went in for a routine doctor visit. He wasn't feeling bad or anything. And things took a turn real fast for him. Who's to say it won't take a turn real fast for you? You don't know that you have tomorrow. By the way, the best way to live for God to the full is to say, I don't know if I have tomorrow, so I'm going to receive Jesus Christ today. Amen. And say, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that my sin has an eternal consequence of separation from God in a place called hell. And if I don't do something about it today and place my faith in Jesus Christ alone, I know that's my destination. But Jesus Christ came to die on the cross in my place for my sins so that I could receive him as my savior and spend eternity in, within, within heaven with God himself. Amen. All the people that I've lost before that have gone on, I'll get to see them again someday because I know that my soul is secure. Amen. That's the first way to live life to the full. And there's some in here and you're trying to live life to the full but it feels empty. And I'm telling you, Jesus Christ can fill that. Maybe there's Christians and you said, I've, I've had opportunities to serve. But I haven't really done it like I should. You know, you can change that today. It's never too late to leave your mark. Amen. And if you'll do that enough, you just might have a eulogy that sounds like Abraham's. Look at verse 9. It says, And his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite, which is before memory, the field which Abraham purchased of the sons of Heth. There was Abraham buried and Sarah his wife. Listen, when Abraham died, they buried him in the place he purchased as a possession in the land. 
meaning his death was, was the, his burial place was the fulfillment of all God had promised. That this was part of the promise. He got to enjoy the fruit of a life lived for God in the full, and, and he was buried in the, in the place that he had bought as part of the possession. He never got to the place that he thought, God's done with me. And I, instead, every day he woke up saying, I'm still kicking, so I'll do all I can for God today. So I'm just asking you today, what kind of legacy are you leaving? Are you living life to the full? Or are you living life to the half? You're doing just what you need to get by. Well, would God look at your life and say, they live life for me to the full? What kind of, another question, what kind of mark are you leaving on the, those coming behind you, behind you? Is anyone here because of you? I mean, if you look around the room and saying, they're here because of me. Or they're who they are in part because of me. And you look around the room and say that I've made an impact on people's lives and, and I'm making a difference in their lives for Christ. Have you impacted anyone for Christ in the last six months? Or have you been living life to the half? Another question, what excuses are you using not to leave a mark? You say, I'm too busy, I'm too shy, I don't know what to say, I'm not confident, I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm too whatever. No, all of those things fade when you consider that Abraham at age 70, 175, approaching age 175, said, if the next generation is going to enjoy God's blessings, I need to take some stands. It's not too late. Maybe you're allowing your circumstances to keep you from leaving a mark. Listen, some of God's greatest difference makers were the Bible's biggest failures. I mean, Abraham failed often. David committed one of the worst failures, the most public, shameful failures. Yet look how God used him. Peter, denying Christ. I mean, he failed, had his foot in his mouth more times than he could count. And at the end, he was the one preaching at Pentecost when thousands of souls were saved. The Apostle Paul, I mean, you talk about being labeled a failure. I mean, he was out, he was pursuing Christians to kill them. And yet God met him on the road to Damascus and changed his life. And he became the greatest missionary of all time. You know, don't assume God's done with you just because of your circumstances. Now, I, I forgot to bring it up with me. I've been sitting in my office, but this, this week I, um, I received a birthday card. My birthday's in a few days. Last week I received a birthday card uh, from someone very special, from my granny. See, after she died, my aunts collected all the birthday cards that she had already written out. And sent them out. My daughter got one. She told me her birthday's not to the end of October. I got one in the mail and I opened it up. And you know there were no profound words of wisdom. But that single act reminded me of who my grandmother was. Because I opened it and I just looked at it in her handwriting. Said love granny. That's it. And it didn't, it didn't need to be anything else. But it was like a voice from the grave came back and spoke to me. And you say, you're a creepy pastor, but no, you know what I mean. 
I, I mean, open this card. This is a baptism track, by the way, because it's all I got. But I opened the card, and I read it, and I just thought, after I'm gone, my life will still be read by other people. And my legacy will continue. Whether or not I think, well, I'm gone, so the legacy is over, and my impact is done, it's not the way it works. After you're gone, people will remember your life. And they'll either remember it because of the way that you live for self and that you did all you could just to kind of earn your things and get your way and live your life, or they will remember it because you made an impact in their lives for Jesus Christ. So after you're gone, your eulogy, not just at the service, but I mean your life. If if it was a card and people were going to open it after you're gone, what would they say mattered to you the most? It's a good way for us to operate. Because I'm telling you, if, if, I, if people open a card from Jason Jett after he dies, I want it to say he made a difference, for, in, difference in my life for Jesus Christ. Amen. And of all the other things that could be said of me, I don't, it doesn't really matter. I just want, like Abraham, I want people, I want to make a difference in people's lives for Christ because in the end that's what matters the most. Here's Abraham, almost 175, and he's not thinking, I'm too old to be used. He's thinking, no, it's never too late to leave your mark. And it's never too late for you to make a difference in somebody's life. And you're going to leave a mark. It'll either be for good or bad. And I hope that you can say at the end of your life, if someone opens a letter from you, that they read about your life, that you made a difference for Jesus Christ. It's time for us to pursue a legacy for the Lord that's so compelling to the next generation that they can't ignore it. And rather than making it something they could take or leave, let's be so passionate about the Lord and his work that we're that they are compelled to follow in our footsteps. It's never too late to leave your mark. What kind of mark are you leaving in your in your world, in your, in, your air, in your circle? What kind of mark will you leave for the next generation? Good questions for all of us to be asking. Let's stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.